0: Hi and welcome to the Steve Wraith True Crime Podcast. I'm joined by a good friend of mine, Paul Ferris. How are you, Paul? I'm
1: fine, Steve. How are you,
0: mate? Yeah, good to have you on, mate. And uh, thanks for agreeing to do this. We, uh, of course, got together uh, a few years ago now, uh, thanks to uh, the talented photographer, Brian Anderson. um, And we put together uh, a new book, um, Unfinished Business. And that was the idea behind doing this podcast today.
1: Ideal, I Steve. Uh, never realised it was that long ago, four years ago. Uh, at the farm, uh, you remember how isolated <laughs> isolated that was. I'm laughing because most of your audience won't know, but, uh, won't know about isolation, but being in the country, uh, not having any neighbours for a quarter a mile, it's very difficult. As a matter of fact, you had described, it uh, need this SAS and a helicopter. And, purely because
0: of the bad road and what we discovered was a great format for recording or conversations yeah I mean it's uh, amazing that I found a couple of the old recordings only this week and and sent you them and um, it it just took me back that was the reason that I I rang you and said do you fancy doing this and to listen back to those recordings it it gives you an insight into how a book's actually written I, I, I think
1: a unique, uh, not so much a unique system, but unique to, to, to me uh, uh, and the basis that normally we're, when I was doing some of the, the, the books with Reg Mackay, he would take several notes, I would write several notes, and sometimes you don't get a flavour of what you write down. I think it's important that when you use uh, audio recordings, which I've used in the past to capture uh, secret uh, try and mention that uh, and take notes the, your notes would be questioned your integrity would be questioned but when you've got a recording bear in mind that if somebody's trying to, to dismiss that they're part of that recording there's a facility called a voice graph analyst test that will distract, uh, uh, dis- uh, distinguishes uh, every individual at a fingerprint that you've got a, uh, an indistinguishable voice so it's an, Reg also called it an aid memoir on the basis that it's better to go back and, and and revise your notes. But we took it to another level, Steve, uh, with your recordings. And I, ma- I managed to listen to the one that you sent, and there's a noisy cat, and I, I've actually thought the was a cat on another farm <laughs> that was in your recordings. But listening back to Steve, uh, it's, it's a great start, a great format, and anybody else that is probably looking towards getting anything, in, anything uh, published in the literary sense. It protects both parties. It protects the author and the subject matter. Uh, it protects the author and the partners, because if there's a dispute, or uh, maybe a legal parameter, Steve, um, one of the things I was concerned about was sometimes when you write a story then you don't get an actual flavour because it's the written word that you're reading that forms that reading voice in your head to say right understand or you might not understand it but when there's an audio recording it, you seem to get more of a flavour pictorial in your head towards what the actual element is so it worked for us Stephen it might work for other people it, it, it allows somebody to come in and edit a, a, an audio uh, to keep and cherry pick what they need uh, some people are maybe a bit too long winded at times or been Accused of that myself But the audio in itself
0: And what you've done Great format And a fantastic start Steve I think my big concern Was the breakdown In communication Between Geordie and Glaswegian
1: You know I was wanting To touch on that Steve But I didn't want To go too far (laughs) (laughs) When we go For the benefit Of your audience When we go The the first draft Of the the audios That was transcribed uh, The obvious problem was with certain words on it, and it just show you how a single word might change the whole theme of a, a, a written transcript. Uh, it was funny, uh, because you're either using predictive text or somebody's got a, a kind of strong accent that the transcriber is at the mercy of, did they say this? <laughs> and it's not until you go back and revise it, but again, it's tighten it up. You'll never get uh, the first uh, recording recording as such, but they've done it. I think we had 95% of the target, Steve, and just tightened it up as we went
0: along with it. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you've touched on Reg Mackay and the relationship you had with him. Just just going yeah. back to those days, who actually approached who to do the book?
1: Uh, what I know now it was uh, Reg's wife, Jerry Mackay, uh, that had promoted Reg to, to contact me. And the reason why she done that because she knew some of my family from the north of Glasgow. Uh, she knew Reg was my social worker uh, or, or probation officer and the Black Hill, he was actually the senior uh, social worker for that area. And he, he, he delved into the past of Black Hill, what made Black Hill, what made the people in Black Hill. And he touched on uh, a topic which there was quite a few fatalities in Blackhill in the early early 50s, early 60s, with uh, locals making their own hooch, their own brew. Uh, The problem was, I don't really know all the specifics on it, but I I want to go back and and uh, revisit the situation that Red's never finished because I've been contacted on the basis that there has been a few fatalities. And what happened, Steve, they made their own hooch. Some people died, some people were blinded. I've got family members that want to tell the real story now. And so this might be a a slight uh, thing towards uh, uh, a a kind of gesture towards Reggie's unfinished business because he was wanting to write about the fatalities in Black Hill. Uh, And and I thought, there's a bigger book here. And it it, it so happened at the same time that I got a letter from Reg that was sent to Franklin Prison... I was just finishing my sentence in uh, 1999. Uh, it was on my bed. It was an unusual letter. It was handwritten. Uh, I was uh, actively involved in a civil litigation against the Herald newspaper in uh, Glasgow and, in particular, the journalist called James Freeman. And I had legal advice on the basis that what they were printing uh, was a malicious actual facts in their own archives. Uh, The information I got legally was it going to cost me about £50,000 to take the civil suit towards the courts. So when I read Reggie's letter, I thought, do you know what, I need to get this out. Uh, If they want to challenge me in the book, then I will save me £50,000. If they want to say that there's any uh, situations that are untrue, then they can sue me for liable because I already knew that because I was in prison, uh, serving a prison sentence, I was not of good character anyway. So the, the civil litigation had to focus on a malicious falsehood. But that, that's what prompted uh, me to contact Red and say, all due respect, Red, the fatalities in hole. Uh, what you want to write about, I think I've got a, b- a bigger story. Uh, this is how I think it should be. And I await your views.
0: What was the writing process like? We read.
1: Uh, writing pro- I'd, I'd always been writing letters for prison, but the writing process we read was very early on. The security, the prison security, uh, got involved in it. Uh, bearing in mind that I was under uh, an NI five security services investigation in nineteen ninety seven you all the way through your prison system, Steve, and your phone calls is always monitored and recorded. Your mail's maybe monitored and recorded a bit more than, than, than other people. So they, they, it came earlier on that one of the senior uh, prison officers in Franklin had advised me that I'm, I'm banned for contacting Reg McKay uh, through uh, postal service and through the
0: use of the, the prison telephone. Yeah, I think um, you know it stands out in in the books that Reg does that you had a great relationship, which developed over time as well.
1: We we did, Steve. And how how we? And I, I never actually met Reg uh, at that particular time. I did meet him when I was sixteen. When he had done a, a report for uh, uh, a a I had to appear at Glasgow Sheriff Court. Reg's done a, a social inquiry background report. It was called. It was obviously favourable because get uh, so I got admonished. So I linked back up with Reg and the communication, although we were banned uh, and Franklin present, there's always ways when not there? Reg's wife, as, as I stated earlier, was called Jerry and I used to phone up and say, is that you, Jerry? Yes. <laughs> Until Reg was asking for him. And we would to continue with the conversation so I'm complying that I'm not speaking to Reg McKay but I am. I'm speaking to Jerry. And in the mail aspect it was uh, we go to some other parties to contact Ridge and he would send in the manuscripts a part of the manuscripts and I would get them at the gymnasium the next day or somebody would send them through the wing. It was just a great process and uh, covertly writing uh, through a crime book.
0: Why did you decide to write Unfinished Business?
1: I would, you should know that you ask me <laughs> uh, no it was just something in which I had no intention Steve no disrespect intended to yourself or the, the, the current project but I felt that when, when Reg passed away that was a you know I'm not, I'm not a writer as such I'm a storyteller Reg was a writer uh, I was a co-author uh, but when you touched on the fact what about tribute book well, that's what Nell did Steve it's a tribute no my book it's Reggie's book it's a tribute to Reg and hopefully I conveyed all the, the loyalty and help and support that he gave me uh, back because that, that book funny's business will stand the test of time and it's it's, it's Reggie's uh, testament it's Reggie's tribute that you helped me and, and
0: uh, incidentally so did uh, Stuart Wheatman I mean the chapters are short and punchy was that deliberate?
1: Uh, I think we took a format, I think we had a general conversation on uh, what works, a long chapter or a series of short chapters. Um, If we looked at the Ferris Conspiracy book that was published in 2001, just before it was released in 2002, uh, anybody who's familiar with that book will realise that short chapters, which means that... Somebody's lying in bed at night, they want to read a couple of things to make them tired or, 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 or it's all an interest. It's not a long chapter, Steve. You might get four or five chapters in small impact, and and I think we, we'd be using that same format. It worked for Unfriendly Business.
0: I'm sure you'd agree with that one, Steve. Yeah? Yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean I I enjoyed the process and um, you know, Stewie, who you've already mentioned, uh, you know, he created what we would probably call like a, a crime wall. It was like a CID, <laughs> a CID <laughs> office with loads of post-it notes if you remember.
1: Yeah.
0: Unbelievable, yeah. unbelievable.
1: One of the photographs I remember, Steve is the yellow sticky notes got a crime scene all where he's posted for trying to piece together uh, what's relevant as threads on this book.
0: Yeah, because it's short, punchy chapters. The book's got about, I think, it's forty nine chapters in all. I think my personal favourite is the little green bag, and you know, I've just uh, discovered that tape, which um, you know helped us put that chapter together. Can you just give the listeners a, a taste of what that chapter about?
1: A little green bag. It's uh, there's a song. Uh, it's probably used on the Reservoir Dogs. It's a great tune. Uh, it's something which the the, the whole uh, relevant aspect of the the title chapter Little Green Bag uh, came from an armed expedition to Rossi by what you'd call the serious organised crime the the dirty squad the fat-up squad and uh, they uh, attended uh, a premise in the Isle of Rossi on the 12th November 12th of December uh, 1984 Uh, they were I was the subject matter of to them for an attempted murder, I've been given the keys to the flat and the keys to a vehicle by Alpha Thompson Jr. And there has been speculation that Alpha Thompson Jr. couldn't have done it because he was. ferry terminal, I've landed in in Rossi, I went to 24 Ayrgyle Street, uh, which was owned by Thompson Senior, Uh, and I had a couple of hundred pounds, survival money, not a great deal of money, I had money in the bank, I had a bank card, a bank folder, just general stuff that you would have, but my my partner at that time, Anne-Marie, was uh, six months pregnant with my eldest son, Paul. And we made uh, covert communications that she should come down and visit. And I, I, I was looking to be away for a couple of months, Steve. but I couldn't leave my partner that's heavily pregnant at the time. So uh, we, we arranged for her to come down. She came down in the ferry. I got on the ferry terminal. And if there was any in, any intelligence or uh, surveillance, I'd have been arrested in a controlled environment at the ferry terminal. Uh, but they never even knew he was there, and it became apparent when uh, the raid took place. And there's, there's a scene in the film, The Wee Man, where there's a, a phone call, uh, which which actually happened, and I answered it. And uh, it was obviously a wrong number, but it, it was a right number, but it was the, the fit-up squad making sure that I'm there. And ten minutes later, the the doors came in, smashed in remember three armed uh, police officers uh, taking up a variety of different positions. One was couched uh, in other doorways, aiming the guns along the hallway. Uh, there was a clear reference. Ferris came out. Uh, so I had a T-shirt, tracksuit bottoms, but uh, then in the hallway showed them the palm of my hands and uh, just to ed- identify that I ain't get any weapons on me in case somebody's got an itchy trigger finger. But, I was bundled very professionally to the ground, and the, the, the next thing was one of the police officers that was there, he was, full, he was six feet six, very well built, snowy white hair, put a, a revolver in like the back of my ear and uh, said, You know what, that's you look, bash that you get. Just as he said that, there's a scream, and not a female scream, was that Anne uh, Marie? Uh, that unsettled everybody, uh, even, the, even the cops, until we started shouting for a WPC to be present. So anyway, I get lifted from the hallway, handcuffed, put in the bedroom, handcuffs behind the back. I get a quick body search. I've only got two pockets in the tracksuit. One had a a, a credit card folder, got a couple of credit cards on driving license, paper driving license at a time, maybe 30, 40 clip. Nothing spectacular, Steve. To cut through on the floor, and then the run. I say the But the the words that I used for the 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 the, the fool with the tool, George Dixon as he, he, he used the comment who's the brown powder, sir? Uh, and at that time it was insignificant that comment. But it became quite relevant because irrespective of what you put in a green bag, and that's the title header, the little green bag, as If you put a white piece of paper inside the bag, it's light green. If you put a black piece of paper in the green bag, it's dark green. So how you could put brown powder in the bag and say, who's the brown powder, son? It's a Freudian slip because he brought the brown powder with him. And he fitted me up and flitted my own eyes, Steve, and I thought, this ain't fucking happening. (laughs) And I'm laughing, but at the time I wasn't laughing, and I thought, nah. And I made a veil through it to him. Well, not so much a veil for it. You're sitting handcuffed on a bed with your hands behind your back. Is that a field threat? Probably. Uh, but he stepped the mark, over the mark, for being uh, a law enforcement agent, uh, to being a drug dealer in my eyes. And I threatened a drug dealer, I never threatened a law enforcement agent. And the green bag became relevant in the whole court case because I was up against five senior Starclay detectives who, who were renowned and fitting people up. So I was just another victim on the timescale. scale for it. But I decided to fight it through court. I produced all the corroboration. I got an independent toxicologist and it's all there to see. So the green bag is quite a, probably one of the most powerful episodes that I've been involved in in my life. And it was something in which I'll continuously mention it, but it's been used in open court. Uh, the jury came back and uh, we have majority verdict. They're not guilty, and uh, severely embarrassed the fit-up squad and staff quite police at that
0: time. Great story, and it's a, a great chapter in the book. And uh, we did find the original tape of that, so that we'll be putting that up next month. Um, because... Yeah, we've well, got
1: the full audio, full transcript, uh, and a lot of people had suggested over the years, even in the journalistic quarters, he's not got any tapes, he's not got any transcripts. I have. Reg, Reg Mackay always said to me, Paul, keep your powder dry. And you remember that phrase, Steve. Yeah. Keep your powder dry, yeah? And this, because a tribute to Reg, the powder was used. It's there for uh, public examination. It's there to fact-check. Uh, it's not something that we've done. And I think anybody who's investigating us or looking towards uh, any educational stuff, any criminology, sociology small practice, should uh, send a, a Freedom of Information request to in the Scottish office for the audio transcript. If they've not got them, what happened to them? Why are they missing? And just as well, I've got mine, because they'll bury that. For, they'll, they'll say it never happened. And one of the most important aspects, Steve, is if somebody's making an allegation towards an individual or an institution, you do make sure you've got corroboration. And this is the first time in my life I didn't need to say anything other than the fact to allow the readership to act as a jury to find their own decision to say, do we believe this? Who made the recording? It was done in this circumstance. There's the transcript, there's the audio. And for, them to, for me, basically, they produced the goods and say there's my corroboration I'm not saying anymore, listen to that. I might be accused of a lot of things in my life, I've never been accused of being a (laughs) ventiloquist.